Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Wednesday. We're going to talk to USC Trojan football, of course, USC and Notre Dame with Pete Sampson uh, from Irish Illustrated coming on to preview the USC Notre Dame game. If you have any questions or comments for us, please leave us an email, podcast at uscfootball.com, or you can call or text 424-254-9141. We're on iTunes, itunes.com slash peristyle podcast we're also on google play and stitcher radio and audio boom tune in radio lots of different ways you can download the show wherever you're listening however you've downloaded streaming whatever you're doing we do appreciate you taking some time out of your day to listen to the peristyle podcast i'm going to answer a bunch of questions a little bit later on in the show but for right now we want to talk usc and notre dame Pete Sampson, thanks for uh, so much for coming on the Peristyle Podcast. You can follow him on Twitter. Pete Sampson underscore does a great job uh, at Irish Illustrated. He's been doing that since 2002, I believe. Pete, what's going on, man? How you doing? Yeah, uh, looking forward to yet another Notre Dame-USC game and, and talking to you as always. It's always fun. We always have these interactions. Even You do, you guys do a great job of interacting with like opponents during the offseason, too. Just kind of random, like, hey, let's talk usc Notre Dame football in like July or something. I don't know when you guys do it. Like, <laughs> why not? <laughs> but it's a bit, we were talking before, obviously, you know, the big game, the historic rivalry, um, a lot of, uh, interview requests, a lot of radio stuff, you know, especially with both teams ranked, I think for the first time since like 2009 or something. Yeah. It's crazy. I was looking through that over the weekend. Uh, yeah. To first meeting for 2009, both are ranked and, I went even back farther than that. The last time Notre Dame beat a ranked USC team was 1995 with whoa. Keyshawn Johnson, uh, which was like, whoa, that was that was sort of hard to get my head around. Well, this one, um, and it's a, it's going to be a little strange. So there's a few factors going in. Uh, this is the first time USC will travel to South Bend since 2011 with a permanent head coach. The last two times they've had interim <laughs> head coaches, you know, so – I guess that's a positive on the USC side. On the Notre Dame side, if you remember like the Bush Push game and stuff where there was so much went into that game, I feel like this is, I don't know, not the same level because these teams aren't as highly ranked, but um, having the bye week, having like fall break and the week off, it just seems like the stars are kind of aligning for, hey, this is where Notre Dame can make a statement and really make a run at getting one of those playoff spots. Yeah, there's no question because I think after Notre Dame lost to Georgia, the people looked at that in a couple different ways. One, you're off the map entirely. At that point, we didn't really know how good Georgia was going to be. But also it was going to take four straight wins and looking good four straight weeks to sort of get yourself in a position where when USC shows up in October, you got a chance to prove something on a national stage. And to Notre Dame's credit, they've gone out Michigan State, Boston College, Miami, Ohio, and North Carolina, and they've hammered all four of them. Uh, and the Michigan State win looks particularly good now after they beat Michigan. So it's, I think Notre Dame, after sort of, I don't want to say blowing it against Georgia, but not 
seizing an opportunity. Now they get a chance to do that again against USC, and that's that's big for sort of the national perception of the program. Yeah, that that twenty to nineteen game against Georgia, where like all those Georgia fans ended up coming to like the Cubs game and all that kind of stuff, and, and came to South Bend. I mean, just how different would the whole college football landscape be? If that's, you know, if it's 20, if it's, uh, 21, 20 instead and Notre Dame wins. I mean, that's, we, people talk about Georgia maybe making the playoff after losing to Alabama in the championship game as a one loss team. And, and obviously that wouldn't be the case if they end up losing to Notre Dame. Yeah. I think Notre Dame would probably be sitting there fifth, sixth, maybe. I mean, up there with sort of TCU ahead of Wisconsin. And then that would make this weekend and next weekend against North Carolina State really a chance for Notre Dame to, feel like it controls its own destiny with making the college football playoff, which is a pretty shocking place to even imagine Notre Dame to be after going four and eight last season and all the coaching staff changes they had to make uh, into December, January and through spring ball. Um, I'm a, somehow over the years, I became friends with uh, former Notre Dame All-American uh, Aaron Taylor, who lives out here in Southern California. Does He works yeah. at CBS. Um, did a, some film study on the Notre Dame offensive line. I remember talking to him in the offseason, too. He does that, you know, uh, offensive line award, and he really felt that this Notre Dame offensive line uh, was going to be special this year. Um, maybe a little bit of a shakier start against Georgia, but what? how do you feel like this offensive line is doing? Because it seems from what I've seen, uh, they are really the real deal. Yeah, they, they really struggled against Georgia, and I think some of that had to do with Brandon Wimbush making his second start, and I don't think the game plan was really tailored to a redshirt or redshirt sophomore quarterback throwing the ball 40 times at that defense. But they struggled. I mean, there's no way around it. Now, the the last four weeks since, they've they've mauled people. And I, I think that's something I really want to see on Saturday night is can Notre Dame sort of play a close back-and-forth game and then just beat up USC in the fourth quarter just – body blow after body blow after body blow. I mean, their left tackle, Mike McGlinchey, is probably a first-round pick. Uh, has been good, but maybe not great this season. But their left guard, Quentin Nelson, is just frightening. Uh, when you see him on the field, you will be blown away by how big he is. And Notre Dame just has not had a whole lot of guys like that, and especially with USC's defensive line being a little bit banged up, um, you know, maybe starting or, or playing a, fr- a true freshman or two on Saturday night. I think that's... That's a matchup where Notre Dame has to win. And against Georgia, they were going against a bunch of NFL talent on the defensive line and linebacker. I think USC is, is, you know, cut below that, but still very athletic. Yeah. We, we just found out yesterday, Josh Fatu, who's a senior nose guard, uh, was in a car accident. Um, Clayton said it wasn't his fault, but, uh, you know, he's a concussion protocol protocol. Uh, I would guess he's not going to play, but you know he wasn't at practice. We'll find out, you know, when I go to practice a little bit later on today. But yeah, you're right. I mean, that's not the area you want to uh, be losing defensive linemen, especially we thought maybe Porter Gustin would come back to practice this week. He did not, so that's that's going to be definitely. If you're a you know Irish fan, Trojan fan, watch that Notre Dame offensive line, watch that Trojan defensive front because that's certainly where this game could be won or lost. Yeah, and it's, I'm curious with, with Gustin's replacement there. You know, it was interesting talking to Brian Kelly on Tuesday because we were asking about the sacks that they're they're generating right there, and he felt like there was a lot of matchup issues that he credited Clancy Pendergast as much as the talent on on USC's defense for it because they would match up a defensive end against a running back or you know get a tight end look against a defensive end. I think Notre Dame is probably a little bit more fundamentally sound than that, and the offensive line has seen enough. They're 
where I don't think they should run themselves into sort of confusion sacks, and USC would just have to beat them straight up from a talent perspective, which they definitely can. Um, you know, that, that's a really athletic front. Cam Smith was somebody Brian Kelly singled out as one of his favorite players to watch. So it's a uh, it's a matchup that Notre, I don't think Notre Dame can play the offensive line matchup to a draw. I think they have to win it on Saturday night to win the game. Well, you mentioned uh, Brandon Winbush uh, a little bit earlier. Maybe talk about his development, and it looks like he should play in this one, right? Yeah, there's there's no question he'll play at a foot, mild foot sprain coming out of the Miami of Ohio game. Uh, didn't play against North Carolina, so at this point you're you're looking at three weeks off. And he's practiced in full the last week and a half. He's had an up and down season. Accuracy is a real concern. I think if I was Notre Dame, where he has success is keeping it really short, five year, five yards and under type passes, and then taking a few deep shots. I think the intermediate stuff from five to twenty yards, he's just not accurate enough. I think to to make a living there just yet. Um, I think Notre Dame's receivers have been a little bit underwhelming as well. Uh, Equimini St. Brown has not really followed up on his breakout sophomore season. So Wimbush is, I mean, he's a <laughs> He's a hell of a runner. Uh, he ran for over 200 yards against Boston College. He's, I think, two touchdowns away from tying the single-season rushing touchdown record for quarterbacks with six games to go in the regular season. So he's somebody you really have to count for in the run game. But in the pass game, if you can sort of bait him into throwing over the middle or throwing intermediate-type stuff, I think that's where USC secondary can have some success against him. Now, USC's already faced uh, one really good running back this year, Bryce Love, and maybe one that some fans haven't heard of yet, but they should, uh, Josh Adams. Um, I know Notre Dame plays a bunch of guys, but Adams, as people are talking about, even as a potential Heisman candidate now, uh, maybe talk about him a little bit. Yeah, Adams is an interesting guy because you look at him and his running style, it's not – I mean, Ronald Jones, when you watch him, you're like, man, that is just a good-looking running back. I mean, the way he just hits the holes and takes off, it's it just looks smooth and athletic. Josh Adams is sort of more of a lumbering-type guy, but he's running away from people while he's lumbering. Uh, it's it's just a really unique running style, and I think some of that has to do with he's you know, 6'1", 6'2". You, know, you look at Josh Adams' season against North Carolina, Miami, Temple, and Boston College, he's averaged 11.5 yards per carry. Now, none of those rush defenses rank 79th or better in yards per carry allowed. Against Georgia and Michigan State, that's the number seven and number 10 yards per carry allowed rush defense. Adams has averaged 3.89 yards per carry. So against, he's really feasted on bad defenses. Um, he's a good big play back. I'm curious to see where USC sort of ranks in that because I, I think USC is athletic enough that they're not going to give up the huge plays that some of the the lesser opponents Notre Dame has has beat up this year have given up yeah definitely um I'm curious to see him in person just heard so many good things and what you see on film you're like wow uh <laughs> he looks uh he looks pretty good um one of the uh the the guys that you are know, recruiting big time tight ends um maybe talk about Elise Mack a little bit I know he's someone that uh, was you know pretty high up on the you know, recruiting rankings and stuff. Has he been a big factor in this offense so far? He's getting there. I mean, he came in his freshman year, was sort of a bit part player, uh, started a handful of games, which was impressive at that position at this school, but then academically ineligible last year. And I think he's he was sort of pressing in September to like, okay, I was a five-star. I need to go out and make 
eight catches for 200 yards this week. Um, it just hasn't happened for him. Now they've sort of put him in, it's almost like an H-back type role. You'll see him motioning through the backfield, and they'll hit him in the flat for short four or five-yard gains. But once he gets the ball in his hand, he's he's a really athletic dude. I don't know if that's going to show against USC, which also has a lot of athletic dudes. But I think he's he's turned into, instead of being sort of that seam route tight end that can blow up a defense down the middle, he's more of an outlet for Brandon Wimbush uh, moving the change. I think, I think he had six catches for about, 50 yards last week or against North Carolina, but four of those were for first downs. One of them was a fourth down catch. So he's, he's starting to become more reliable, but that explosive athleticism that we thought we were, we would see here come out of high school just really hasn't shown up. It'd be interesting to kind of watch him. Um, I just always liked him in high school and stuff. So, you know, obviously a highly ranked guy. Who yep. are some of the names on um, defense that kind of stand out? I know uh, Jerry Tillery, USC fans are probably familiar with. He had the, uh, yes. the Zach Banner incident last year, but he's doing well too, though. Right? I think he leads the team in sacks. Yeah, he does. He's sort of had, I mean, you hear it every year with guys like, oh, he's, he's really committed to football now and he's, he's dialed in. And Jerry Tillery was sort of that guy where, okay, he was, you know, he's, his focus was going to be different. I think that actually has happened for him. He's been consistently productive. I think the guys that are most interesting to watch for Notre Dame on defense are probably Dalen Hayes, who was a USC commitment at one point. And then Julian O'Quara, whose older brother Romeo played here, is now with the Giants. They're both sort of speed defensive ends. And when Notre Dame gets into a nickel situation, they put, they'll play them both at the same time. That's been a very, very effective personnel group for Notre Dame this year. Uh, and with USC's offensive line being a little bit banged up, uh, maybe they can have some success there. Defensively, the big injury this week, uh, Grim Martini hurt his knee last week in sort of bi-week practices. I, ex- I don't expect him to play this week or the next few weeks. And Notre Dame doesn't have a whole lot of linebacker depth, so they might be relying on a backup to play 60, 75 plays against USC. That's Tavon Coney. Um, he's not a super fast sideline-to-sideline type linebacker. He's more so your downhill middle linebacker who like to just come up and hit people. So that's a, can USC sort of use its tight ends who are really successful against Utah to take advantage of Notre Dame's lack of linebacker depth? I think Notre Dame is strong at defensive end and maybe even defensive tackle, but at linebacker coming to this week, they're, they're short a man. And I, I, I'll be curious to see how USC tries to take advantage of that. Yeah. Dalen Hayes. I remember that name definitely rings a bell. And uh, I don't know. Is Amir Carlisle still there? Or is he gone now? Yeah. <laughs> He's he's gone. He's exhausted his eight years of eligibility. <laughs> that was uh, kind of what you know. So it's funny when you mentioned that about sometimes in the off season there's this narrative and players or even coaches will say you know like they've turned over new leaf and all that stuff. Brian Kelly was you know one of those guys talking about you know how he was going to change in this off season. Have you seen that? Uh, he seemed a little fiery in the very beginning, but maybe he's kind of settled in since then. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's kind of one of those things you've covered this narrative many times too. It's like, all right, you're you're new and you're different. Okay, sure. Um, <laughs> I to Brian Kelly's credit, I think he has made some real significant changes that have have taken, and it was it was sort of interesting from a national perspective. I felt like the view of Brian Kelly through the first six weeks of the season was reduced to a 10-second soundbite from a press conference after the Georgia game where he ripped the reporter's head off in a real sarcastic way. That's been the exception this year. Uh, He's been much more upbeat with 
the roster. He is much less likely to criticize a player in a press conference. But I think the most significant thing that he's done is sort of revamp the strength and conditioning staff that's shown in the fourth quarter. Notre Dame just looks, they pass the eye test much better now. And their defensive coordinator changed from Brian Van Gorder, who ran an NFL defense that nobody really seemed to understand, to Mike Elko coming over from Wake Forest has been a huge upgrade. Notre Dame is not blessed with a ton of natural athletic ability from, you know, 1 to 22, just on the defensive two deep. But they're making a lot of it with Elko. And the, there, there's a, just a lot more of, a, I think, a team chemistry around Notre Dame than there has been the last couple years. And I think some of that starts with a head coach realizing that, you know, he was part of the problem. He needed to change. And to his credit, I think he actually has. Oh yeah. That's good. Yeah. I, I, almost, I remember something happened. I forgot it was that the one uh, incident there, but it's a lot easier to talk after a win. Yes. Than a loss. Yes. And he's had many to talk after, <laughs> but it was like that Georgia press conference. You could see him biting his tongue for 10 minutes. And I was like, Hey, he's doing a pretty good job here. And then he just lost it right at the end. And as you know, like 10 seconds of blowing your top turns into what everyone's going to be talking about for the next couple of weeks. And that's what happened to him there, uh, even if that hasn't really been sort of his approach throughout from January to today. There was like a 10 second loss of concentration there, but that turned into a really big thing. Yeah. the um, I think turnovers are always big in uh, college football, of course. Um, we talk about them all the time. I think Notre Dame has been very good. At, I think, you know, top 10 in turnover margin. Um, USC's, I think, fourth from the bottom as far as the number of turnovers, but they've, they've forced a lot too. So, um, I think the one, and, and Notre Dame's been able to cop, capitalize off turnovers. The one thing that USC's done, they've turned the ball over a lot, but the, for whatever reason, the defense has been excellent at not allowing points after turnovers. So this seems like one of those things where, you know, is Notre Dame able to score off turnovers? Does USC continue to turn the ball over a lot? Um, I think that's going to be a big factor in this one. Yeah, and I mean, Notre Dame has already forced as many turnovers this year as it did all of last year, so that's been a, a huge upgrade. I think what's been most fascinating about that stat to me is Notre Dame's ability to turn those turnovers into touchdowns. I believe until the North Carolina game they fell off, but up until that point, I want to say they of the first 11 turnovers they forced this year, they turned 10 into touchdowns, which wow. is ridiculous. And the one outlier was basically a turnover they got against Georgia right before the half where they, they didn't really have a whole lot of time to do anything with it. So they've been incredibly opportunistic that way. I, I was sort of shocked looking at USC's turnover stats that they had an even turnover margin, even though they're basically at the bottom in turnovers lost because they're so close to the top in turnovers forced. <laughs> so it, um, and I think that's, that's going back to Wimbush. That's one of my concerns for this weekend is does he have a, a turnover in a really bad spot? They've sort of been able to avoid the catastrophic turnover so far this year. Uh, I'm, I'm curious if they can sort of keep that streak going where you're not. You're not throwing a pick in the end zone or losing a fumble at your own 20 where you're just setting. You're either taking points off the board or basically putting points on the board for USC. Yeah, the timings of those are always very important. Um, special teams, uh, I want to talk about that a little bit. I think USC has been probably below average overall. They've had some really good moments from a punter and a kicker, like individual plays, but no big returns, some busting on coverages, uh, you know, trying to contain some return men. So I, I would just say overall, it's been kind of, eh, for USC, um, 
special teams wise how's it been on the notre dame side basically the same which is a huge upgrade from last year when it was <laughs> it was just a train wreck every other weekend um you know adory jackson i think had a kickoff and a punt against notre dame last year uh i think notre dame was the only school in the country to allow multiple kickoff return touchdowns and multiple punt return touchdowns this year i think the special teams have done a good job just sort of like getting out of the way of the offense and the defense the punter and the kicker are good uh, their experience, I would say if, if you wanted a nitpick, Notre Dame special teams, I think their kickoff coverage is a little bit shaky, and you can kind of feel a big return coming, even though one hasn't happened yet. And then their punt return coverage, I think, has been not great, only because the punter outkicks the coverage once or twice a game, and then you're in, you end up with a 20-yard return uh, on a 57-yard punt. Now, once the athleticism of the opponent upgrades, maybe that 20-yard return on a 57-yard punt turns into a 67-yard return on a 57-yard punt. So I'm, I'm a little concerned if I'm Notre Dame about my, my coverages and kicks, but in terms of the kicker and the punter themselves, I think they're in pretty good shape. Uh, USC, uh, I love the USC's punt return guy. I love him. Jen Harris covered him in high school. He used to play cornerback and quarterback, and then they moved him to receiver. He hadn't played since, like, seventh grade and he did really well and they move him back to corner he's their starting nickel now but for whatever reason he, he there's he lets balls just bounce and they you know they roll inside the five like constantly that's why they had like three drives of 88 yards plus against utah um so they they haven't been a threat to return a punt all year uh kickoffs could be a little bit different they have a couple fast guys back there that, that has the potential but they've been really bad as far as punt returns go and and clay hilton's not given any indication he's going to switch guys up there. Anything would be preferable for Notre Dame than having to cover a Dory Jackson. <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, that's one of those things too. If people look at like special teams coaches and I, I think you can watch and you can see, okay, I think that's a really good special team scheme. And then you can watch and see that's just a really special dude. And sometimes the dude fields a punt or a, something that he shouldn't be doing. And you're like, no, 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 no. And then, he beats a bunch of guys and makes you miss, and then he goes for a touchdown. So, like, technically, he probably shouldn't even have picked that ball up. But he's so good, he makes it into a touchdown. I don't think USC has a guy like that right now. Yep, and that is just fine for Notre Dame. Because <laughs> I think, I was like, I forgot, like, Dory scored three different ways against Notre Dame last year. And then I, I forgot that he scored, like, on a slip screen on offense against Notre Dame two years ago as well. So he's... uh He's been a bit of a tormentor, as he was for a lot of people. Since I think what we ran into him at the Nike store this summer at the at the opening. Oh yeah, we were. He was. Uh, we were buying our shoes or whatever. I, I'm I'm wearing those shoes right now, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Him and Derrick Henry were just walking around, hanging out. Derrick Henry was a big man. Yes. He, he was very yeah. impressive. That that Nike store experience is always pretty unique because you could just see some random people in there, and uh, it's such a great. I mean, everything is like. 40% off at least. Yeah. You know. Yeah, it's like a sports center commercial, but except you get heavily discounted clothes. Yeah. Just athletes walking around. And I think those guys, like, you, they probably, I think they get like cards or something where there's like, they get for their deals, like, here's $5,000 to go spend or whatever. So it goes even further there since everything's so cheap. Yeah, exactly. They're, they know how to spend their money and make it last. Yeah. Um, you want them to be smart about money. You, you hate to see these guys become millionaires and then blow it all. And, uh, <laughs> you know, that's not what you want to see. One last thing. So just, um, see how you think this game is going to go for USC. This is the first time they're going to be an underdog this year. Um, they're six and one. They're one and six against the spread. They've been not so, you know, 
not up to expectations, I guess you could say. Uh, I keep going back and forth on this. I'm not really sure. Sam Darnold just, I think he got a little bit of that magic back and, and playing a little bit more like he did last year. And uh, I could see them squeak out a close one, or I could see Notre Dame just like everything kind of going the Irish's way and just kind of boat race. I'm just not sure how this is going to go. I don't know if you have any sense. I Unfortunately, I'm with you on this one. I, I sort of have gone back and forth on this all week, and I think I'm just going to be stuck there until Saturday night. I <laughs> It's like I don't think Notre Dame is going to come out and spit the bit and just really lay an egg. Um, but there's, there's just you cannot escape the fact that Brian Kelly is one in nine in his last ten games, decided by one score. Uh, it that has to give you real pause if you're going to pick for Notre Dame because it's almost like if you pick Notre Dame, you have to pick him to win by ten or more. Yes. Uh, and would that blow me away? No, but. At some point, Sam Darnold, Ronald Jones, that defense, it's all going to come together for USC. It, it might be Saturday night here. Uh, I don't think it's going to be a replay of that 2011 game when Lane Kiffin came in and, and they just sort of dominated Notre Dame, and that was like uh, sort of a jumping-off point for a really good season for USC. Um, I think ultimately I'm going to pick Notre Dame, but I'm having a hard time getting my head around how I can sort of envision the game going where Notre Dame wins a one-score game just because they haven't won one in a long, long time. Yeah, I, I, th- I think I'm with you on that. I think, like, I could see just everything working, and it just doesn't work for USC, and Notre Dame, you know, basically dominates the game, wins by a couple touchdowns or something. But if it's close, if it becomes one of those slobber knocker kind of things, we haven't seen Notre Dame win those. We've seen USC do that constantly, come from behind, and you know, under like Lane and Sark for USC, they never did that. And for whatever reason, and maybe it's just the Sam Darnold factor, sometimes you get a quarterback that can will you to wins when it's close at the end. And the only time he didn't do it is when they, he fumbled against Washington State when he had a chance to tie or take the lead in the, in the final minutes of that one. But every other time he gets the ball at the end. And even at, at the Utah game, if Utah would have got, you know, got two points, uh, the two point conversion, and 42 seconds left. I think a lot of USC fans had confidence that Darnold would have figured out a way to get down the field in those 42 seconds and kick a field goal and win the game. It's just something to be said for having having to do that in game situation. And we've seen Sam Darnold do it. Yeah, and there was a, we had a question on our podcast this week about like what would you be more confident in? Brandon Wimbush gets the ball down four with two minutes to go, needing a touchdown, or USC gets the ball down four with. Uh, 90 seconds or two minutes ago and Notre Dame has to get a stop. I would be, I, I have very little confidence Notre Dame's offense could deliver in that kind of spot. I think Notre Dame's defense could, but, and I think just sort of the scope of this game, Notre Dame, this would be the highest ranked team. Brian Kelly would have beaten at home, uh, you know, to make the playoffs to be sort of on the national stage and, and relevant there. Notre Dame needs to win this game. I, I think in some ways much more than USC does. And so, who deals with pressure better? Well, I mean, USC did it just last week. Um, Notre Dame really hasn't done it all season and hasn't done it in a couple seasons. So I, I kind of feel like USC can come into this game playing loose. They And Notre Dame, if it gets to be a tight game in the fourth quarter, I could see Notre Dame tightening up and USC sort of just you know, figuring out a way to, to scratch it out with, with Darnold and Ronald Jones. I think it's a really good point, too, because... I mean, you could play loose, but it could be kind of sloppy. And we've seen USC do that constantly this year, just underperform. And then Notre Dame gets a big lead and, and USC's not be able to crawl back into it. But because, I mean, I think 
you know, both teams want to make uh, the playoffs, so it's important in that aspect. I think USC's big goal is they have to win the Pac-12, and I think that's what Lane, uh, uh, Lynn Swan wants of Clay Helton. Um, you know, obviously, Lynn Swan didn't hire him, the athletic director at USC now. They'd like to see him win the Pac-12, and this game really isn't going to impact that. So, yeah, I mean, maybe it's, I don't want to say it's less of important, but um, I'm not sure this team, the way that they're playing right now, they're not looking like a playoff team. They could get there. Uh, they can get back. But it doesn't derail their hopes of winning the Pac-12 with their 4-1 and one in the Pac-12 right now. But I could see that working against them or for them, like you said. Maybe at the end of the game, they're playing loose because it's not as critical. But earlier in the game, they don't play as well. Notre Dame gets a big lead, and then you can't come back. Yeah, it's like and you, I think Notre Dame, maybe they won't admit this, but you look at USC, NC State, Stanford, and Miami. They're all ranked. They have to go to Miami, to Stanford uh, in November. NC State's coming here a week from now. If you don't get this one, then you're like, oh, wait. Are you really gonna? Are you gonna sweep those three games to get to ten and two to make a New Year's Six bowl? Probably not. So it's like you have to get this one just to sort of give yourself a chance, not just at the playoff, but but playing in a major bowl game. If you drop this one, then it's you're down to like basically Camping World bowl territory at best, uh, and that that would be a I think a disheartening place for Notre Dame to be in mid-October. Um, never mind the fact that it's you know the big rivalry game and, and so much goes into this from the this, the program perspective and the fans' perspective. Yeah, it's funny. I think if if uh, USC had its way, it would probably switch the schedule with where Stanford is because you know, like we said, bye week, no class this week. All focuses on this game for Notre Dame. When, when Notre Dame has to go to Palo Alto, I believe it's the week after Navy too, right? Which is always yeah. like the body oh, blow thing. Yeah, that's absolutely brutal. I, I do think that, that whole bye week issue is – Notre Dame got pretty banged up at North Carolina. They end up having, I think, three or four guys go out with injury, minor like ankle bumps and bruises type stuff. They'll, they'll be healthy. But, I mean, for USC to play eight straight weeks when Notre Dame's coming off their, their bye, it's um, – and, and never, it's not just the buy. It's the fact that they've blown out four straight opponents. So it's not like their starters have even played in the fourth quarter for four straight weeks. So they've they've had sort of an accumulation of good rest over the last month. Where USC is going to be, they may be dragging in here, uh, you know, coming off Utah, which is a pretty hard hitting team. That maybe not as uh, body blow theory as Navy is, but it's not like Utah. You feel great coming out of that game. No, they're pretty big physical uh, sort of team. So. Yeah, there's this whole like no bye week thing. Uh, you know, I don't know. You want to say like excuses or stuff like that, but to me, it's like eh, it's like the middle of the season. Like a lot of teams haven't had a bye week yet, but um, you know, we'll see. But that we love talking about it. We have no idea how it's going <laughs> to turn out. It could That's do something. Why we're the experts. Yeah, it could be Notre Dame wins the close one and like last second field goal that no one expected, or what? I mean, who knows? You know, but. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. I look forward to the trip out there, Pete. So uh, I know you love coming out here, going to the post in Manhattan Beach. Uh, I'll try to get some good food in Chicago somewhere. Hey, hey, hey. I'm just kidding. I love it. No, I was just there South for a wedding. Bend. I was there for yeah, a South, oh, South Bend has upgraded its uh, culinary options since I think you were here last. So I, I, just, I want to put a, a shout out into the Crooked U. My favorite brewery, just a, maybe five minutes from campus, definitely worth checking out if oh. you're a USC fan looking for some good food in South Bend. Nice, yeah. If you're checking it out, taking the train down there, uh, or driving or whatever, go go see that. I, I love the deep dish pizza. I was just in uh, Chicago a couple of months ago for a wedding, so um, 
hopefully get some of that too. But yeah, I'd love to try. Was it the Crooked Brew? The Crooked U. Crooked U. It's okay. A, yeah, it's right on the river, just south of campus. So it's uh, it's a little bit away from Notre Dame, but not too far. Probably a you know three dollar Uber ride. It's definitely worth checking out. All right, we'll definitely do that, and we'll look forward to seeing you then, Pete. So Pete Sampson does a great job for many years. Irish Illustrated. Follow him on Twitter at Pete Sampson with an underscore at the very end. Thanks again, Pete, for coming on. Thanks, Ryan. All right. All right, that's Pete Sampson. I'll be back in just a minute answering some of your USC football questions. Stay tuned. You are listening to the Peristyle Podcast from Los Angeles, California. Hey, USC Trojan fans, to get into the huddle of your Southern Cal Trojans, log on to uscfootball.com today for all the latest in Trojan football, basketball, and recruiting news. Ryan Abraham will give you an in-depth analysis, recruiting updates, and will answer your questions every day on the message board. So for all the latest in team and recruiting news on your USC Trojans, check out uscfootball.com. It's time to get back to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. All right, we're back here on the Peristyle Podcast. We're going to do a little solo podcasting for right now and uh, answer some of your USC football questions um, heading into this USC Notre Dame game. Do appreciate Pete Sampson joining the show and sharing some insights. So looking forward to that trip out there. Um, if you're going, hope you enjoy the trip as well. Well, let's jump right into the questions. Here we go. The first one's a voicemail. Hey, Ryan, Dan, Coach Harvey Hyde, Ely, everyone in the uh, USC staff. Uh, first of all, I just want to say I love what you guys do. love all the updates and the podcast. Uh, my question for you is, what do you think about throwing in an explosive dynamic player like Matt Fink into the offense occasionally uh, after we saw the breakout play he had against Oregon State late in the game? Kind of like how we did uh, in the earlier part of last season when we had Max Brown and then we sporadically threw in um, Sam Darnold. Just curious your guys' thoughts. Uh, thanks again for all you guys do and fight on. Thanks for the question. And, uh, yeah, so for me personally, I don't see it, uh, happening. I do would like, I would like to see, uh, him get into the games, uh, more, but really because USC's got a lead and they can play him at the end. Um, it doesn't have to be that big of a lead, but just, you know, fairly comfortable. Let Matt Fink come in. Um, it was a shame that we hadn't seen him, uh, until the Oregon State game, but that's kind of the way that the nature of the games were. USC wasn't really performing that well, so they didn't have big leads and, in games they probably should have, and you don't see Matt Fink. I guess the biggest difference would be that that Sam Darnold and Max Brown were very different quarterbacks. So you could bring in a, a Sam Darnold who you feel is going to be the future anyway, and then you know give him an opportunity to make some plays in the red zone and some special packages for him. Pretty much the stuff that that Matt Fink can do, Sam Darnold can do. Now you could argue that Fink is faster and stuff like that, but. For the most part, you know, we've seen Darnold do those kind of things. He was the specialist that was brought in, like you mentioned, for Max Brown. So prob I would guess probably not. Um, I mean, if they got to the point where for some reason um, he was uh, hobbled, uh, you saw Max Brown. Um, I mean, not Max Brown. I'm sorry. You saw Sam Darnold was injured and he was more of a had to be more of a pocket passer. He couldn't scramble as much. Maybe you would bring him in then, but the way he's playing now, and you got to see him run a little bit uh, in that Utah game, probably not. All right, let's. Uh, so we got a lot of uh, email questions. I'm going to get to those right now. Okay, this first one is from Lee. He said, "I started to leave a voicemail, then someone conveniently started cutting metal next door to me. Sorry about that. Anyway, 
Uh, no problem, Lee. My question has to do with the difference between the offense when we are playing our regular tempo plan during the the first through the third quarters of most games versus when we get behind and are crunched for time. Why is it we look so much better in crunch time? And do you think that maybe we should be talking about uh, isn't necessarily T. Martin's play calling as it relates to the choice of plays, but rather the speed with which he play, he gets the plays in and then the additional holdup of the adjustments. Um, I was really surprised to hear the announce, the announcers say during the Utah game that T couldn't uh, like to get his that, I'm see, that T doesn't like to get his plays onto the field until there are around 15 seconds left on the play clock. And then there are usually adjustments as he sees the defense move, sometimes around uh, 8.54 in the game clock in the third. Uh, I'd have to go back and look at that, Lee. You can hear the kind of skepticism about the time management and the wisdom of, of leaving so little time. This seems to lead to an offense doing all sorts of shifting around as the play and adjustments get relay, relayed down. I think it's killing our offensive tempo. Way too many snaps are happening in the five to zero second range. And I'm just wondering if all this back and forth between the lined up guys and the sideline is causing the offense to not be able to get into rhythm. Uh, that is until we have to hurry things up and the plays get re and, and relayed down faster. Uh, that's from Lee. Uh, interesting point, Lee. I didn't, um, I, I wasn't watching the broadcast and I, I, I must have missed that part where they were talking about that. I'll have to uh, go back. And take a look. So uh, about T not getting the, the play down. I do feel that there's some clunkiness to way the plays kind of get called. And the fact that you have uh, the quarterback coach and the offensive coordinator both in the booth and not one of them down on the field. I would like to see one of them down on the field. I think that might happen. Like say if USC loses a couple games and they want to fix that a little bit. I could see that sort of thing happening. But until, you know change is sort of forced. I don't think it will uh, happen. And I do think they look uh, good in rhythm. I think some of that's just Sam Darnold. Part of his ability is just that, you know, that he can make things happen off script. And I think sometimes when you're talking about tempo and down the stretch and you don't have the time to plan everything, there is more that's going to be off script. And that's really when he shines. At least he did last year, and he, I, he started to do that again in the second half of the Utah game. But that's Lee. I would say that's kind of what their their plan, their philosophy is. So sometimes they'll switch things up. Uh, you know, T. Martin wanted to throw the ball more in the first half. That was part of his plan. He so he told us that yesterday. Um, you know, I think they come in with a certain plan, and sometimes it might be a plan to go up tempo from the very beginning. But it's going to be what, about what they they deem is going to be best and what would work against the defense that they're facing. Jim in Newport Beach. He said, against Utah, especially early in the game, they seem to call a lot of pass plays. Do you think they were specifically trying to get Sam going after all the uneven performances so far this year? Um, Jim, I, I I haven't read these in advance, so I'm just kind of going in order. Uh, but it's funny that there was a great segue. Yeah, so um, they threw the ball a lot more in the first half than they ran the ball. And he was asked, T. Martin was asked that question, and basically was just saying that was the game plan. So um, I don't know if it was specifically to try to get Sam rolling or if they just felt that's that passing game was going to work best against this Utah defense. I kind of think the latter, um, but that was what their their plan was. Now, you could see that the run game worked so much better in the second half. Could you argue that it was because they were banged up and, uh, and tired out and all things like that? Yeah, but whatever reason, it, whatever the game plan was in the first half, it wasn't working. And, and, you know, 
they, they moved the ball. They had a lot of yards. They just turned the ball over. So um, the, the problem I have with the game plan was they were doing things um, in the game that they don't do in practice, like Sam Darnold keeping the zone read uh, RPO handoffs, you know, no handoff sort of things. They never He never keeps it in practice. He always get, hands the ball off. And so they were trying to have him do something in the game that he wasn't doing in practice. And they abandoned that. They stopped doing that. But, you know, it was two turnovers later, and then they got a third um, that they, that made them stop doing it. So that was my biggest issue with that. Noreen says, glad to listen to your expert analysis of USC football. I have two short questions regarding the team. First, why doesn't Helton recruit a punter that can average more than 35, 38 yards per punt? Um, well, I, Noreen, I, to be fair, they have, I think they have two punters that do. Um, they give a scholarship to a guy, Chris Tilby, uh, and he got benched for a guy who's been playing better. Uh, Reed Butterovich. Butterovich has been one of the stars of the team. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't say there's, um, you know, and, and I have an issue with the way they recruit special teams. I think they just give scholarships right away and they probably should not be doing that. They should probably bring guys in as walk-ons and let them compete. And if someone's really good, give them a scholarship. I'd rather see them do that. But punter, I, that's not one area I don't think they've had a problem. Second, does the offensive staff uh, believe that the USC offensive line is that good where they don't need to add an extra back? Seems to me it would give them some additional flexibility to Darnold. Seems to me that the offense would have a little more help with blocking and give Rojo some help in the run game. Yeah, that, I, they've used a two-back set very infrequently. They've used a fullback less frequent than that. Uh, it's just not a staple of this offense. That's that's not where they are. They they do use it occasionally, and you can check out Shotgun's um, participation chart. He does a really good job breaking all that down and uh, what formations they use and stuff like that. So he keeps track of all of it, but not very often that it, do they do that. And uh, we've seen a lot of people write in, like yourself, Noreen, and say, why don't they? To me, it's just that's not really what the this offense is based on. Um, that would mean you'd want to get back to, uh, you want to run more eye formation. You want to run two back sets, two tight ends and stuff. They, they mix that in, but it's not, um, the majority of what they do for this offense. We got Brian in the Bay. He says, I'm a huge critic of T Martin and the offensive play calling over the last year and a half, but I think we should recognize that they do seem to be showing at least attempts to develop at the start of the year. We complained about Jalen Green starting. Now it's Tyler Vaughn's. We complained about the lack of QB sneak. Or ever taking a snap under center. Now they've done that a few times. We've complained about the lack of tight end use, and there were three tight end touchdowns against Utah. The running plays from the shotgun have been predictable. Uh, they started having Sam run the option. We can't say that they're doing all the same things that they did from the start of the year. It almost makes me think they've been holding back to keep uh, from showing everything early. We absolutely need to cut down on the turnovers. I love to see the team figure out how to call plays more quickly, develop some tempo disrupt defenses those two things and this offense can be a beast thanks for all your coverage brian in the bay so i do think once they get a little momentum they do try to go uh with the tempo it's not just at the end of the half or the end of uh, a game so i think they do work that in a little bit and i do think they've tried to develop and, and change some things um i don't know if it's a response to criticism uh but they do that i i still feel there's more of a a grab baggy feel uh, to the play calling sometimes. And I, I'm a huge T Martin fan. I like him a lot. He's you know, a great guy. Um, but I think, you know, I, I think there've been some issues there and you know, that that's just the, the kind of way it, it's the way it goes. Sometimes you're always going to be critical 
of of play calling, especially if plays don't work. Um, I think last year Sam Darnold masked a lot of issues with the offense. This year he wasn't doing it as much. He started to do that in the second half. I think he looked like a genius when a, a when a quarterback goes back and makes something happen on his own. And you don't look as smart when you know the play breaks down and it just doesn't work. I just think there's some weird calls where it's third and nine, you're doing a QB sneak, and you know throwing to guys that have never caught passes in critical situations. I think they're starting to get better at that. But Brian, you know, I agree with you. There was a lot of complaints early. I think it's starting to come together more now, and you're seeing less things to kind of complain about. Let's go to Roy. He said things to improve on. He gives me a list here. Know when it is a lateral and fall on the ball. Fair. Line up on sides and stay there until the ball is snapped. Seems fundamental, sure. Keep your hands on yourself until the ball arrives to a receiver. Okay, I like that one. All the other running backs, uh, all the other, all the other running backs go to scats this week. Uh, I'm not sure what that is. I should probably Google that. Uh, only bring the real Trojan team to South Bend and leave the fake team home. And Sam needs to relax and have fun playing quarterback and not put so much pressure on himself. Uh, that one's from Roy. Uh, thanks, Roy. All good uh, points there. Keep your hands to yourself. Yeah, you got to not be as handsy and holding receivers. Uh, I think Scats, okay, he's probably talking about like uh, um, gymnastics, I would guess. If that, Hopefully I'm right on that. Um, yes, so that was the referring to the leap that Ronald Jones made into the end zone, the flip. Uh, was pretty amazing. He did not stick the landing, uh, but did pretty well. Ross Bowers from Cal, he did the same sort of thing uh, in his game uh, against Washington State. Did not stick the landing there, but there was a video from his high school days where he actually did. So same sort of play. But yeah, that was a pretty amazing play. Good points, Roy. Thanks for those. Um, let's see. We got, man, we got a bunch. Lamar from the desert. I really think USC has the best chance of winning the conference. Sam doesn't fumble. The final score is 28-17. Utah against Utah. He can't execute the read option. Don't do it anymore. And Notre Dame will be a tough game for our boys. Do them getting two weeks pre, uh, to prepare and USC looking so vanilla, but I have a feeling they can get a win in a tight game due to the defense. Solid running game. Uh, read more positive email. Uh, Lamar. Okay. So I think he's requesting me to read more positive mail. I read all the mail. I try to read all the mail. So it's not like I'm not, I'm not avoiding positive, uh, mail. I'm reading what I get. So if we get more negative, that's what I'm, you know, I don't eliminate negative to make it even. I'm just going to read what we get. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I, we talked about it with Pete Sampson. I think, uh, I think USC can win a close one here, or I could see Notre Dame just kind of, to me, I think it's going to be USC wins a close one or Notre Dame wins by like a couple touchdowns. I think that's what I've kind of come down to, uh, right now. Let's see. Uh, we got John K. OMG. Why would any AD from a Power 5 school allow their team to play an away game on a Thursday or Friday night? I know it's not about the money, but really, when is the last time Alabama played Thursday or Friday night? USC, Clemson, Washington State, all losing as they did uh, is really not a good thing. As stated by a listener after the Texas game, why are defensive backs always falling down? It's really getting ridiculous. Thanks as always and enjoy listening. Uh, Maybe Coach Coach Martin has been listening a little too uh, a little also lately, John K. Yeah, the the TV's kind of TV obviously runs that stuff. But um, do you want your 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 uh, playoff contending team to be playing on a Friday night road game or a Thursday night road game? Probably, 
Probably not. Um, as far as defensive backs falling down, yeah, you don't want that either. So uh, try, to <laughs> try to clean that up, USC. Uh, Charles from Carson. Uh, where is our creativity on offense? I think we talked about that a lot. I think there's been some. Um, just like the NFL and the reasons why quarterbacks have two-year slumps, it's because, or second-year slumps, is because teams now have one full year of film on them. Teams have film on Sam Darnold and his tendencies. That's why Sam came out last week and said what he said. I'm just saying we have to play to the offensive strengths. We have a tight ends, sure-handed uh, Burnett and Vaughns. There were plenty of times that Vaughns had one-on-one coverage, get him the hot route and tell him to go up and get it. We are way too vanilla on offense. Uh, give, uh, I think, oh, he said same. I think he means give Sam the option to check out of the original play. That's one thing I don't see happening. Other QBs uh, could audible out of the play. Charles from Carson. So they do a lot of RPOs, which gives uh, Sam Darnold an option. So there are there are some options there. As far as like strict audibles, like just completely changing the play, not sure how much that was happening. I talked to Tyson Helton about that a little bit earlier, but mostly with the RPOs, some plays come in and, and you don't have a chance. So you don't have a choice. So you just kind of go with it. I do feel they need to throw the ball to Tyler Vaughn's more. You throw to Burnett all the time. I think he's banged up a little bit, but keep throwing to him. But they need to target Vaughn's more. I mean, not just when your back is against the wall and it's fourth and 10 and he makes a one-handed ridiculous catch. Because he can do that, but he can do that on the other downs too. So I think you need to do that uh, even more. Let's see. We got a few more. Robin in Virginia. I wanted to ask about why USC plays better when they're behind. Keely and Dan talked about this in the instant analysis, but it's hard to explain why there's no sense of urgency until they're down by a couple of touchdowns. Both Jack Jones and Cam Smith, however, said that they always need to play at an elevated level, firing all cylinders like it's the beginning of the game. But at the beginning of the game, they don't actually play it like that. Uh, were they just referring to the defense or the whole team? USC lost three fumbles again in the first half to Utah, so there's that. Thanks to fight on, Robin and Virginia. Well, I think there's other games you could see USC comes out and they score the first two drives and they get a lead, but then they play uh, kind of lackadaisical. And, and T. Martin talked about this yesterday, too, where sometimes it's hard to convince guys that you, you come out and have success early and you score, and then you just feel like you can do that every time, and that's not the case. There's adjustments that are made. Uh, teams play better. They're mad that they gave up some scores, and they're coming after you more. So I think we've seen that a little bit more. The Utah game was different where they came out and really played like butt in the first half really, really bad, and then played really well in the second half. So I, I, I wouldn't say it's like just one thing. It's, it's kind of like a lot of different things. You need to put together, play like that, play like gangbusters, play like your hair's on fire from the very beginning. And I think they're going to have to do that against Notre Dame. I don't think they're going to get, if they get behind like they did against Utah, against Notre Dame, I think it's going to be a lot harder on the road coming back uh, from that. We got a text from Clayton. He said, great win. That was a different team in the second half. The working combination of the offense seems to be giving Ronald Jones more carries, targeting the tight end and finding Burnett and Vaughn's. Uh, where was that in the first half? Do you think the offense finally found its identity in the second half versus Utah? Good question about the identity. Um, I, you know, what is the identity of this team? Like, I don't think balance is an identity. I don't, I don't think what they've been doing is an identity. I think really you want to identify this team. It's a team that when the play breaks down, Sam Darnold makes stuff happen. Now they started to run the football more in the second half. I'm not saying that's in their identity yet. Um, pounding the rock. 
Uh, Utah got tired. Utah was getting beaten up. The front was getting pushed. And they, they relied on the run. They relied on Ronald Jones and Vivai and all those guys. So I think, I, I wouldn't say that's an identity yet. What we've seen this team, when they excel, to me, is when the, whatever the initial play call is, for some reason, it's not working. The defense has it down. They knew it was coming. Someone runs it wrong. Whatever it is, the protection breaks down. The play just breaks down. But Darnold can make magic happen. And I think when you're what you can do to demoralize a defense is you get pressure on him, and he gets away from it. He senses it. He gets outside of the pocket. And then he makes a chunk play happen downfield. I've said that a lot, and I really think that's something that can demoralize a defense. To me, that's the identity of this offense, is Sam Darnold's magic. And we haven't seen a lot of it most of the season. We did in the second half of Utah. They're going to need more of that magic if they want to beat Notre Dame. Brian in Birmingham checking in. It's time to bench Sam. Bring in the future. Fink. So I think this came in uh, early or during the game. Um but Brian, probably not going to happen. Um, Brian Jenkins said, you and Dan wanted Sam to run it, right? So I think that came in during the game too. Yeah, we did want, <laughs> we did want him to run it more. Not necessarily run a play he hasn't run in practice, which is the, the zone read and uh, sticking it in and Ronald Jones you know, gut and then pulling it back when he never does that in practice. So, but we would lo- like to see him take off more. I think he had some success when he did. Um, so this was before the game. I got this. Do you think the light will come on for the Heltons and T or is it still too early in their careers? Um, Don, I don't know if a light came on per se. Um, you know, I, I'm not sure that you actually saw a light come on, but I think there's progress. I think there, there's guys that are learning. And I think having a guy like Sam Darnold, when he's playing at a high level really helps the learning process. And, I, I mean, you could argue that it stunts it because he can mask so many of your mistakes. I don't think those mistakes got masked in the beginning of the year. So I think there was a lot to learn from, man, yeah, this this play didn't work, or what are we doing here? Um, you know, when you hire someone that's never done a job before, you have to expect some degree of, of learning on the job. And that's, what I think, what we've seen. I would like to see, for me, the light will be coming on if one of those guys goes down to the field and can talk to Sam Darnold because... You watch Sam Darnold after a play. For the most part, he's just standing by himself and he's watching. And sometimes he'll get in there and cheer, like if it's a big play for the defense or something. But I would love to see Tyson Helton sitting there next to him, talking about everything that happened on that last drive. But that's really just not the way they kind of uh, run things on this team. I think it would take a few. Um, I think it would take a few blunders a few uh, another couple of losses for something like that uh to change but i i would kind of like to see that and you know maybe it's just being stubborn maybe it's just that's the way they feel they want it to go but having like tyson being like a third down play caller i don't know i mean i'm not sure it's like you you know i don't think you're doing your original play caller any favors by not letting him just running everything having it being a shared duty having both those guys being up together now maybe you know Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the chemistry is amazing. And that's just the, the best way to get this offense to flow. But my gut says it would be better to have one of those guys down on the field uh, talking with Sam. Okay. Well, that's going to do it for our show today. Huge shout out to Pete Sampson for coming on. And I'm looking forward to seeing him over there in South Bend. Hope you guys learned a little bit about this Notre Dame squad that USC will be facing 
on Saturday. Do appreciate all the questions. Thanks so much for sending them in, the text, the voicemails, and all of the emails. Um, I know I, a lot, just a you know um, housekeeping thing, I know a lot of emails came in later for Dan Weber. We recorded him on Monday. So I apologize to all the people that sent in questions for Dan that we didn't get to. It was a really long show already, and we had a lot of questions. But I saw a bunch more come in, I believe, after the show had already taped. So apologize for that. Uh, try to send them in. I think we're going to try to do the shows a little bit earlier. So you know, the earlier you can get your questions in, the better. But we do appreciate all the questions coming in. And uh, thanks for listening to the Peristyle Podcast. We'll have one more podcast this week. Uh, well, we might have to. We might do a recruiting one, but we'll definitely have one with uh, Keeley and Shock on their Family Feud podcast. So that will be coming up as well. So thanks so much for tuning in, and we will talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.